A bad bitch takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. (laughs) Welcome back, bad bitches. Today, I am here with Kendra Cole, the co-founder and CEO of the Crypto Mom app, a Black-owned and woman-run cryptocurrency investment platform created specifically for women and moms. Did you know that Bitcoin was initially built around encouraging financial equity, but 75% of crypto holders are men? 60% of crypto investors are white men under the age of 45, and only 15% of Bitcoin traders are women, even though there are more than 10.2 million crypto curious first time buying women. So today we are going to dive into the seemingly complex world of crypto, how to break it down so that more women, more diverse individuals can enter into the space and how we as bad bitches can really take charge of this new financial system. And I'm so excited to speak with Kendra about how she's doing that. So Kendra, welcome to the Bad Bitch Empire. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, Kendra. So tell us about how you became the bad bitch you are today. How did you break free of good girl brainwashing? So take us back to you as a girl and then how you got to where you are today and building the Crypto Mom app. For sure. Um, I think that even as a kid, I was always sort of a loner, you know, and always very headstrong. I'm an Aries, so I have a fiery personality. I've always been that way. Um, But even I think as a kid, you know, growing up, you we... Our parents, you know, whether they knew better or not, right, they teach you that girls need to be polite. Girls need to be nice. You got to, you know, you have to do all of those things. And so I feel internally, I've always really struggled with that of like wanting to be more outspoken, but feeling like I needed to shrink myself or make myself smaller. I would say that the very first time that I really felt confident enough to really come into my own and take up my own space was um, when I made the decision to attend Howard University. Um, I think just being on a campus of other amazing, intelligent, talented, thought-provoking Black people, just being in that environment was a huge confidence boost for me. And seeing other people who had similar experiences that I did in terms of growing up in predominantly white spaces and having to navigate that, knowing that there are other people that are out there that had that same experience really gave me a lot of confidence. And I think from there, it just set me on a completely different trajectory. Um, I think from there, I just really owned myself and really owned my who I wanted to be. And then, you know, for the last 13 years or so, I've been a communication strategist and publicist, and I've had the honor of working with so many other amazing women entrepreneurs, supporting their dreams and supporting the products that they are most passionate about. Um, so through my career and my personal life, you know, I've really sharpened those tools of asking for, you know, forgiveness instead of asking for permission, right? Or listening to my gut when something didn't pass the smell test. Is there a specific incidence that you can share just growing up, whether that was negative feedback that someone gave you or a specific failure, just something that really made you get to a point where you're like, okay, I have to change and I I have to be a bad bitch who's going to take charge of my life? I think as a Black person in America, almost every 
person remembers the first time that someone called them the N-word. And for me, I was about five years old. I was about five or six years old. And it's really awful. But I remember the kid's name. It was this kid, Alex, who was in my daycare. And we were just playing with blocks, something like really innocuous. And I remember he took a block and smashed my finger. And I was really upset about it. And he said something to the extent of, oh, you're just a stupid N-word. And it was the first time that I had heard that and someone had called me that. And I told my mom, I remember telling my mom, like, I don't understand, like, why he would say something like that. What did I do to, you know, to deserve that? And I remember her telling, I'm getting like even a little choked up thinking about it. But I remember her telling me that, you know, sometimes there are people who are just hateful in the world and you just have to be better than them and, you know, either ignore them or you move on. And while I do understand the sentiment of, you know, like, like Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. I do understand that sentiment. At the same time, I think there's something to validating how you feel and validating that experience and saying, that's not okay. And before we decide to go high, stepping up and standing up for yourself and saying, hey, that is not okay. You are not allowed to talk to me that way. You are not allowed to call me that word because I am not that. And I think that as I've grown, that's been the one thing that I've always wanted to make sure that I did for myself, as well as what I teach my children is, is that to stand up for yourself and take up space. And while you don't necessarily have to go low like them, you don't also have to excuse poor and bad behavior. Yeah, I think that's so important. I talk about calling out bullshit, you know, calling it out for what it is, because I do think, yeah, underneath that phrase of when they go low, we go high is almost a bit of the brainwashing that's like, just, you know, say it's okay, and just rise above it and ignore it. And and I think that this is where this new paradigm needs to go, where, especially as as women, to be able to say, that's not okay. And be not afraid to be a bitch, you know, to be co- because I think there's been so many times where people have said like, oh, don't take it so seriously. Why are you being so sensitive? And it's effectively gaslighting, right? And it's like, no, my feelings are valid. And the way that I am experiencing reality is valid. And so don't tell me not to be too sensitive. Don't tell me that it's okay when it's not. Yep, absolutely. And I got a lot of that also, even like in my professional career, like throughout my years working in like agency, you know, I think that even working with other women, you know, a lot of times I think that women within professional um, environments are also, you know, told to be nicer, right? Or take on the extra work that like cleaning the kitchen or, you know, organizing the, you know, office events or things like that. I remember one time I actually had a boss who told me that, my emails were too direct. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you know, maybe just include some like niceties or maybe even include some emojis in your email. And I said, why do I need to include a smiley face when I'm requesting information? You know, so it's just even even, even working with other women, like you get that same sort of play nice downplay your, what your requests are, make sure that your requests are not too strong, not too loud, not too, not too whatever it is, right? You, we can never be too much. We can never be too loud. We can never be too outspoken. We can never be too whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, well, 
I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. Why are we doing <laughs> it's right, like exactly. information? This is an email. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have a pretty direct uh, email communication. It's like, well, it. I think it's like you, it's like when you text, right? Like when you're texting someone, you're not like, dear Alice, how are you doing today? You're like, right. oh, let's get to the point. Right. Or the exclamation points. So many exclamation points. You know, you got to let people know that you're always happy. You know, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not always happy. Maybe I'm just trying to get to the end of the task that's at hand. And that's okay. You know, you know, tell us a bit about your career and, you know, what you did, how did you build up your skill set, and then ultimately take the leap into entrepreneurship? Like I said, I think that um, when I graduated from college, you know, I had a couple of jobs here and there and really tried to find what I wanted to do. And um, like I said, I think that I've always been very headstrong and I've always been, you know, kind of when I set my mind to something, there is no changing it. So one day I remember I, I my, my first job out of college and I just, you know, I hated it. And I said, I don't know what I want to do next. And a girl that I was friends with, she said, well, didn't you always do skincare in college and give your friends facials? And I said, yeah. She said, well, why don't you be an esthetician? And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And I like got up, I searched a beauty school that was in LA at the time. And I called my parents. I said, hey, by the way, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to work in a spa for three months and then I'm going to go to beauty school. And my parents were like, what? (laughs) That is not the plan we had for you. But nonetheless, I did it. And actually that was even the first time that I had made a, a major investment for myself where I took out my own loan, you know, and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And so I did that. I went to beauty school. I was an esthetician for about a year and a half. And at the time, um, it was when the economy had crashed. So I had my own clientele, it was growing, and then the economy crashed and any sort of like luxury goods, you know, excessive things like that, that pretty much stopped. So I said, well, what do I want to do next? And again, talking to another one of my friends, she said, you know, she was like, well, you know, you always do like event planning and things like that. And, and you majored in communications and undergrad. She said, why don't you look into PR? And I said, hmm, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And so I Googled it and I kind of researched and I figured out that's what I wanted to do. Um, at the time I was 24 years old. I took an unpaid internship um, at an agency in LA while I was working full time. And to get that experience. And then I got my first job in PR um, with a firm called Connect PR. And it was a really amazing experience. It's primarily um, uh, consumer packaged goods, um, primarily working with small businesses, um, a lot of women-led businesses. And that's really where I honed a lot of my communication skills, where I loved really working with small businesses and startups, especially startups that were um, led by women or Black women. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last 13 years. And just as my career has um, has grown, um, I worked agency, you know, kind of worked like big global agency, kind of worked medium-sized agency, um, and then really kind of stuck, struck out on my own about seven years ago. And um, so I've been a strategist and a consultant for that. So um, I had a really, I was very fortunate um, during the pandemic, um, 
you know, with everything going on with Black Lives Matter of supporting a lot of black owned businesses, black women led businesses and initiatives. And that was a really, truly amazing experience. Um, At the same time during the pandemic, about two years ago, um, my husband, um, he is a CTO. He was a CTO of a global cryptocurrency trading firm. And during the pandemic, you know, I'd hear some of that terminology at home, but even having a partner, it was still very foreign to me. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to get into this and I, and I want to try and get into it. And that's really kind of how I piqued my, it piqued my interest. Um, he was able to, I would be able to bounce questions off of him, ask questions and things. And then my friends and I actually kind of created our own crypto learning group where we all were asking each other questions and, um, you know, just really creating that community where we couldn't find one because obviously in a pandemic, everything, you know, you're not really meeting new people. Um, at the same time, separately, um, my daughter had a bone marrow transplant in April of 2021 and it was successful. And at the time I was pregnant with our third child. And so I was very sick. So I really didn't go anywhere, but my husband would take Callie to her, her daily clinics and, um, our daughter's main nurse, Cindy kind of overheard his conversations. And she was like, you know, how do you, what do you do? What did you get into crypto? And Cindy and Lord really forged, um, you know, this kind of working relationship of where she was able to ask him questions similar to like what me and my friends did sort of ask those questions, help build the confidence. And then when she was finally able to make her first purchase, she had trouble getting on the platform. So her married name did not match necessarily her um, maiden name that was on her ID, which may have not matched her hyphenated name that was on her bank, right? So she had some challenges getting onto some exchanges. After that, when she was finally able to get on the actual exchanges and the technology, it wasn't intuitive to her. She saw a plus button and she asked Lord, like, how would I even know that the plus button means to purchase, right? And then the last thing was, is that she really wanted to purchase crypto for her son. You know, she had, she's been going into this. She's really into it. And she wanted to purchase crypto for her son for graduation. And at the time, there was no way to actually transfer the crypto that or the coin that she had purchased to his account without getting him, you know, a wallet or giving him a key. And, you know, she didn't want to give him that much control over it. From my experience with my friends and this sort of experience that Lord had built up with Cindy, we realized that there were some common patterns, unique challenges that were to women. And when, you know, we said, you know, okay, I get it, this buy and selling, I said, but like, what else can we do with this? You know, I've got three kids. Can we start a 529 education plan for them, you know, funded by, you know, Doge? Or can we take out a Roth IRA that's funded by Bitcoin? And at the, he was like, you know, honestly, I don't know how we do that. And we looked and we couldn't find it. And so we said, well, if we can't find it, let's build it ourselves. And that's really what the inspiration for the Crypto Mom was. And that was, we came up with that a year ago. And now we're here where we're, um, you know, accepting people on our wait list. And, you know, we're having a goal of launching our private beta by the end of the year. So it's been a very busy, exciting time. We had our, our third child in November of last year. So not that we didn't have enough going on to then create, you know, try and build an app and so so it seems like you almost fell into crypto just out of curiosity, right? It wasn't a it wasn't a intentional I'm going to learn crypto, I'm going to build an app around crypto. It was more of an experiential 
observational period where you are seeing the the potential of the technology of this new kind of currency. So before we dive into, you know, specifics of your company, I'd love for us to zoom out a bit and just really for those listeners who are still very new to cryptocurrency, maybe don't even know what the term web3 is at this point. What was it for you that really made you interested in learning more about crypto? Like Bitcoin, was it just because there was like a lot of hype around it and you're like, this is really confusing or like, you know, why, why do you think that you ended up becoming passionate about it? Yeah, I think I will say to that point, you know, I, I had heard a lot about it, right? So I think I'd seen it on my, you know, social media timelines. And so, and again, hearing it at home, there was that sort of connection, but still, it was still very foreign to me. And I was like, what is the hype all about? You know, like, why is this something that, you know, I need to get involved in? I've always kind of been, you know, a student of life and always wanting to remain curious. So, you know, for me, I said, okay, well, I want to figure out what's going on with this. So that really was what led me to do a lot of research, find other, try to find other communities of women from like an education standpoint of connecting with other women who had similar interests that I did, right? Um, And I think that when I did that, initially, it really kind of led me to just, you know, reading more news articles, you read more studies. And this challenge of, um, you know, not having sort of foundational knowledge about investing or finances, it wasn't unique to me. Um, Studies show that actually most women have never had anyone sit them down and talk to them one-on-one about investing or finances. And that's that's a problem. Women actually hold majority of the financial and investing decisions for the family. And yet no one is actually talking to us, having these conversations early and often, right? So there's a disconnect that's there. I think that we also, when we look at being a a working mom for me, you know, my career has been something that has been really important to me, but even still, we obviously know about the wage gap, right? We know about the fact that, you know, women make less than men and specifically even black women make even less more, even less than that, right? So even that, that was a challenge that I've constantly had to deal with, you know, in my career. And so I think that all of those things, they have been sort of tertiary and surrounding to my life. They're very, you know, they've always been kind of interwoven in my life. And when I had my children and specifically my two daughters, I wanted something different for them. I wanted them to have a different um, relationship with money. I wanted them to have um, a different relationship with finances, with investing. And I knew that when I talked to my other, with my friends who were in similar places with their life, they had that same sort of passion and knowledge. And so that's kind of what led me really to even getting into crypto. Um, you know, of course, like I think, you know, two, three, four years ago, you heard a lot of these stories of, you know, somebody purchased Bitcoin when it was only worth a thousand and then it, you know, peaked, right? So that may be, that may be a, a one-off scenario, but I do think that given that Bitcoin has, you know, was established more than 10 years ago and we're seeing so much more activity in this industry that this industry is here to stay. 
And so we don't want women to be left behind. I don't want women to be left behind. I don't want my daughters not knowing what's going on, right? So I wanted to, that's really kind of what it also inspired me to create a space that was specifically for women where it was inclusive, it was welcoming, um, she could ask questions, she could learn at her own pace, um, but also the next extension of that is really putting her money to work for her because there are very few products out there that are catering to the preferences that women have from technology to investing preferences to the things that are most important to her, whether it's her career, her family, um, you know, things like that. So I think that women are women are underserved um, in the financial services industry, and it's time to stop that. So how exactly does Crypto Mom really take into consideration the nuances of how a woman invests, how a woman thinks about money, and uh, how are you creating that inclusive space to make sure there are more women in crypto in the long run? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So um, the first thing I think is, is that when we look at even specifically just having a product that is saying we are taking a long-term committed approach to the success of women in crypto. Even just having a product that states that women are not just a marketing campaign. And I think that if there were, if it was that simple, then other products, other exchanges would do that. And it would, and then we wouldn't have the crypto gender gap, right? We wouldn't have the wage gap. It would be gone. So it's not just that simple, right? So there's that. Also, additionally, um, when we look at the investment profile of women, women actually have a buy and hold strategy. So women are much better investors um, than men because men tend to have um, a trading strategy. So they make quick decisions that are uninformed. Women are not that. So that's not how women prefer to invest. So on our platform, instead of having that trading experience that you would see on other exchanges, we created products that uh, support her buy and hold strategy. So for example, she can go on our platform and purchase Bitcoin. She can then allocate that Bitcoin to tax and non-tax advantage accounts. So like a 529 education plan. Um, further iterations will have like something like an IRA, right? So and you can have reoccurring investments. And that's actually how women specifically tend to want to invest. They take their, once they have all of their um, their bills paid, you know, the kids' schools, things are taken care of, whatever the excess money is, that's what they want to invest. And so we know that that's how women tend like to um, invest. I think the other thing is, is that on our platform, um, when we look at the technology use preferences, even um, apps that say that they are gender neutral are geared more towards men and how they use technology. So everything from, um, you know, on our mobile device, um, your your thumb reach um, is tends to be a little bit shorter for women. So we took those things into consideration. We also took into consideration um, making sure that she her eyes don't get fatigued um, with the colorations. So I think the the biggest thing is is that we were really thoughtful when we put together this platform and we really took into consideration how, what the lives of millennial women are, whether she is a working woman, whether she's a stay-at-home mom, or she's a working mom like I am. We took those things into consideration and we said, these women matter. Nobody is vying for, vying for her dollars. Like these are dollars that we're vying for dollars that are potentially not even invested anywhere. That's not right. And women 
deserve to be spoken to in a way that is that they want to be spoken to, to the things that are important to her. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish here. Amazing. So would you say that you are like creating an app that would be almost a a competitor to some other like generic apps? Like, for example, is someone is a is a woman going to be using Crypto Mom instead of Coinbase? You know, what's your hope here? Yeah, I think that, you know, when I see Crypto Mom in, you know, five to 10 years or something, you know, I would love to have Crypto Mom be the only solution for her. And I would love to have the platform be, you know, an all-in-one place for her, for her investments. So she maybe can be able to see all of her investments, whether they're traditional investments or crypto. I think right now, um, one of the things that we know about our users is that a lot of our users are going to be first-time purchasers. Um, and so they may be a little bit hesitant to get in, get involved and put their money on the platform, um, which is why we started with Bitcoin. So we know, you know, Bitcoin has been around for more than 10 years. So we, it's a little bit more established when it comes to the different projects. So we wanted to provide her something that was a baseline for her that she can get involved in. As we add more coins onto the product, um, onto our platform, the other thing that we want to have is a robo-advisor that takes um, gender-based considerations into market. So again, thinking about how women's salaries are different than men, whether or not she takes a career break, whether it's maternity leave or taking care of her parents. All of those things will kind of factor into the advice that she's given from our robo-advisor. So when she goes on, you know, she has someone or something there that she can ask questions to, just like I had with, you know, with Lord or Cindy was able to have um, with Lord as well. So we wanted to make sure that we're walking with her throughout her entire experience um, as a part of her entire, um, you know, crypto learning experience. Do you see this as an app for... Uh, only moms or also you know younger women as well who are starting their financial journeys yeah I think it you know it's definitely for um women all women really to be honest when we kind of created this we came up with this with um, millennial women in mind so about 27 to about 45 years old um, mostly because um, when we look at a buy and hold strategy again it's um, a lot of times women take, their, their, whatever their money is that's left over after they have, um, you know, paid off their bills or, you know, taken care of the things that their responsibilities. So a lot of times when you look at, um, the profile of a woman, she tends to have a, when, you know, she's a little bit older, she tends to have a little bit more expendable cash. But that said, um, again, we, it's most important that we, women feel heard and women feel seen. So it's absolutely open to any woman as well. Awesome. So when you think about launching this, so it seems like you're going to be launching it in a couple months. What are some of the biggest challenges that you are encountering or that you foresee that you'll need to overcome? I think that when we look at our potential users, we know that you know women might be a little bit hesitant to um, you know put money on the platform, and and that's totally understandable. You know, this is a new investment for her. Um, And so we know that women may be a little bit slower to come onto the platform and that's fine for us. Um, Part of the way that we want to make women help build women's confidence is on our social media platforms. 
we do a lot of education. So we do um, simple, simple things as like a crypto word of the day where we take a definition and we just break it down to something that is, is relatable. So we know that, you know, I think probably adoption might be a little bit slower than, you know, what you may see as like in another exchange. Um, I think the other challenge is, is, is that there's going to be a lot of haters out there and there's going to be people who say, well, like, why can't she just use Coinbase? Like, why do women need a product that's just for her? Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to be constantly having to um, take up that space again and and stand our ground and say, no, women actually do deserve to have a place that they, she can go to find other women who are on, you know, their crypto wealth building journeys where she can find products that you know, matter to her and, and support her life and her priorities. And so I think that those are going to be our biggest challenges. To that last part, I think it's really important actually to state that, in fact, the world is created default for a man, everything from our physical space to our healthcare systems, to our financial systems. And so it's the same thing when someone says, like, does a woman need her own healthcare or specified healthcare? And it's like, yes, she does. Does she need her own type of financial care? And it's like, yes, she does. And yes, it's, she does. Yeah, it's like if the world is default created for a certain type of person, then right now we are starting to come out and say, well, the default doesn't apply to everyone. It doesn't. And it's also interesting where it's like, well, if the default already has six or seven different platforms, like it's like, why are we not asking them? Well, why do we need another exchange out here? Right. Like, why can't you just use crypto mom? Or or even if there is another product that comes out that's specifically for women, why do women only need one? Like we can have multiple products, right? Like why is it that we only get one or we get none? Or nobody's asking them, well, you know, doesn't does another young white bro need another exchange? Nobody asks for that. Yeah, well, we're asking those questions now. So what advice would you give your younger self now? Trust your gut, you know, stand your ground, trust your gut, because it won't always be so hard. You won't always feel alone. Um, you won't always feel like the only one. And you won't always feel like you're standing out like a sore thumb. You know, stand, take up your space. You deserve to take up that space. Stay true to yourself. And eventually, you know, you will find your community and you'll find your people. I love that. And I think it just, it's a continual pattern that I hear from women. I mean, even for myself, it's like, trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your voice, trust your value, trust your worth. Basically, stop questioning if you're doing the right thing. And I think this goes back to that idea of the default world telling us that we are wrong for existing in a certain way, uh, in every single way. And so it's become this programming, really this, the good girl brainwashing that it's like, we question ourselves every single step of the way. And it's almost like we have to proactively say, I just need to believe that I'm right. Because I guarantee you, there is no, very few, but I say mediocre white men walk through the world being like, I wonder if I've done enough research to, you know, really validate if this is a need in the world. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They're never going around and saying, 
hmm, like I have a question, but I'm just going to wait until the end and see if every, anybody else has any questions before I ask my question. You know, like men just don't, they don't operate that way. And we need to not operate that way either. Yeah. It's, it's like, dude, I think this would be a great idea. Yeah. Let's, let's get money for it. Sweet. All right, let's do it. And then it's just like the conversation's over. And I have to remind myself, um, and this was early on when I was really like coming out of my good girl shell into my bad bitch self. I was like, okay, walk into the room with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And just <laughs> like not from an overachiever, you know, like done everything as perfectly as I can my entire life. And, and yeah, just like letting go of, I think for a lot of women who are ambitious, who have big goals, um, are sometimes like, I see a lot of perfectionism because, and I know that because I've been a perfectionist overachiever my whole life and realizing there's a point at which that doesn't serve you anymore. Like you just have to go out and do it and, and trust that things are going to work out if you have the right intention, um, and the right mission and the right passion that's driving you forward. Totally. 100% agree. Um, you know, and women, we, we do, we feel like we have to be this perfectionist. We feel like we have to have all of the answers. We feel like we have to. And sometimes it's like, you know what? No, you don't. You're curious. You're smart. You're awesome. Just the way that you are. And that's good enough. Exactly. So Kendra, last question for you. What does it mean to you to be a bad bitch? Being a bad bitch means that you know, you're not afraid to stand in your true, authentic self. I think being a bad bitch is, um, you know, owning it, whatever that is, own it and do you. Um, and I think even when you are afraid, pushing through and making a way out of no way. Love it. Well, thank you so much for making the way in the way that you see it. And we're so excited for what you're building and can't wait to continue following your progress. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, tag me at Lisa Carmen Wang, and make sure you check out thebadbitchempire.com for events, courses, crypto, and other cool shit. Thanks for tuning in to The Bad Bitch Empire.